Hello and welcome to episode 165 of the Batflip Crazy podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Today is edition number 69 of the Bubba and the Batflip uh, pod, and Bubba and I will be uh, taking a look at the corner infield position again. So earlier on this season, we did some early season uh, position previews, including third base and first base. So what we're going to be doing now as the season approaches is kind of going back, looking at some more recent ADP and having broader conversations about corner infield. We did that this week. We'll do middle infield. We'll do outfield. We'll do starting pitching. We'll do relief pitching and catcher as well. So definitely look for those. I think the format that Bubba helped set up for this um, goes well, and, and we answered a ton of listener questions about corner infield as well. So really hope you enjoy the podcast. With that being said, let's get this party started. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 69. We have done our position previews. Now it's time to kind of do our recaps like we did last year. A lot has changed since we've done some of these, not some others, but kind of get our thoughts if, uh, you know, all the drafts that we've been doing, if our thoughts have changed on the process or anything along those lines. Uh, we're going to do corner infield tonight, middle infield next week. You can find myself on Twitter at BDNTrick and my co-host, as always, on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how we doing, man? We are doing great, uh, Bubba. I just... Just doing a draft right now, and I just took my first hitter in the first round. I saw your tweet, and I was so excited. Not only that, but you were growing out a beard, so I think all <laughs> around it's a, it's a win win type of a type of a day. So well, you're, you're rubbing off on me. I'm growing out a beard. I've I've now in my pocket aces. I saw that. I, I mean, but that, I tweeted that one, but then I'm in another one. Um, Kang from our uh, our Barf League. Yeah. He does a lot. He does a lot of stuff on prospect or uh, baseball 365 on Facebook. So I kind of I hang out there once in a while. He he's doing. I think it's I want to say there's at least ten draft and hold leagues through fan track. So similar to what we're doing on NFBC, like literally two catchers. It's almost identical uh, mm-hmm. setup. Just it's on fan tracks. And um, I had the I think twelfth pick out of fifteen, and I went uh, I went well. First round and third round pitchers, but it turned. I know I went pocket aces section. I think about pocket aces, and I got um, Gilito and Bueller, mm. and then I came back with Kyle Tucker and Rio Muto in the fourth. And I'm sitting there going, "That's the second time I've done this now," and I'm like, "I mean, um, but it like it, it's so nice. Feels good. Feels <laughs> good. It really feels does. right. Just it, do it. it feels it feels so right. The the the, the pitcher things I'm on board with the the more and more I'm starting to grab real mute. it makes me wonder if I need to stop uh, you know, hanging out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, it makes sense. Like it all makes sense. And it, I'm not forcing myself to do it. It kind of flows with the draft, which is, it makes me feel better about it, but uh, we'll sure. see how it pans. We'll see how it pans out. Well, how- I thought, what'd you get in the other one? It was like Bieber Giolito or something like that. Yeah, in the Bieber Giolito. I mean, you I can't mess can't with that. Me. Like that's just, yeah. I mean, if I get that once, I'm, yeah. I'm going to be thrilled. I'm going to be through the roof. So, I mean, it's just such a great combo too. Like you get the whip, you get the K's, you get, you know, it's just fantastic. So. Well, and it allows for so much more. Like I took Dallas Keuchel later because I don't need the strikeouts as much, but it gets stability. Like the way you shape your team, like you've talked about it before, it, it starts making things so much different. So it's, uh, it's growing, it it's growing on me, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Have, before we go into corner infield, uh, you've done a handful of drafts. Is there anything that stands out to you so far besides pitching going early? 
Um, no, uh, not really. I mean, pitching's going early. I think there are just different ways that people are attacking it, you know? I mean, some people are taking it early. Some people are waiting. It's kind of like a, do you take a, a couple at the top, you know, three at the top or something like that, or do you really go for a ton of guys in the middle? And I think either option could work out. Um, you know, I just think there's, there's kind of round, there's kind of round things that I feel there's certain rounds I like, and I dislike, you know, I really dislike, if you want to grab a hitter in the fourth round after the first few, I think it's really rough going. Um, even in the fifth round, I mean, the fourth and fifth round are kind of, I'm just not that into them. I think I might just skip them, you know, like in subsequent drafts, just like totally skip over it. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I, some of the, sometimes you're like faced with the options in fourth or fifth round. You're like, I'm going to, I'm going to draft a hitter right now, but I'll, I'll take I don't, two I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know how I feel about this. I, I, I don't, I just want to, I was joking around with somebody that I was just going to quit. I was joking around with Brian Steiger. I was like, I'm just going to quit in the middle of this round. I'm just going to walk off in the fifth round and be like, I don't want to draft any of these guys. I'm out of here. But we still draft guys, and um, it's fun. So nothing's jumping out at me, but I'm very interested to see how how everything develops over the next, you know, four to four to seven weeks, you know, that we have left of drafting. I think there's going to be a lot of movement. We're going to have spring training, which we didn't have last year, which I think is going to inform a lot of our breakouts and things like that. Again, focusing on like velocity for pitchers things of that nature. So it's going to be really fun to actually have that ramp up where we, where hopefully we have access to a little bit of data about um, who, who looks like what in spring training. And then we can kind of use our discerning eye to figure out exactly what data to pay attention to. So. Yeah, it, it will be nice to have the spring training data. And like you said, for now, looks like they're reporting in a couple of weeks. So we'll be rocking and rolling there. Hopefully things keep going in the right direction. We get some baseball here sooner than later. Cause the KBO is already in spring training. They're already rocking and rolling. So let's get it together, boys. But right now, things are looking good. So that's always promising. Um, let's get into this corner infield recap. And I'm using the NFPC Draft Champions ADP since January 1st. Um, like next week, I'll shrink it down to a, another date. But uh, we're going for the past month, basically, and seeing the January ADPs. And we'll start with the first base position. And, you know, there's the standards when you look at uh, some of these. Like you got Freddie Freeman, you got Cody Bellinger. I don't even want to talk about DJ LeMay because I think we've pretty much beaten that one in that he's going super early, but it's the position flexibility. I'll ask, do you have any other thoughts? He's going to pick 34 right now. Like I know him back to the Yankees, but that's uh, pretty high. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's really high. He's now with the Yankees, so I don't mind it as much. I mean, the more I think about drafts, I feel like I always get kind of pushed back into my, into my existing thoughts, which is essentially the things that really distinguish players are batting average and stolen bases. And so he's not going to provide the stolen bases, but he's going to provide that batting average in spades and the runs are going to be enormous as well. So overall I'm fine with it. You know, now that we know for sure where he's going to be, I probably won't end up with a ton of them there, but I could see, especially as he gets, if, if LeMahieu falls, later into the fourth round or the third round towards the back end of the third round, how that could make a little bit more sense. And again, the position flexibility um, is also, is also a big deal. So I don't hate it as much. I still probably won't go there, but we'll see. Yeah. The, the flexibility is tremendous and that's where it's hard to kind of to fight it. But uh, it's, it's like, if you're picking Toby, do you go with DJ or do you go JT Real Muto right there? For me, I probably go Real Muto there. 
I think. I just think, you know, the the difference between Real Muto and, you know, I think there's other catchers that that provide some good value. So I haven't been as into JTR this year. I still think he's by far the best catcher, but I've just, um, yeah, I think there's other values you can get later on. But for me, he's better than LeMahieu when you just look at like comprehensively as as a player. But yeah. You know, and the benefit he gives you at catcher. So, yeah, I said DJ, DJ's going around pick 34 on average, but as high as 20, which is uh, crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, Abreu's the fourth one off the board, but then we got this kind of glob, the first one we're going to talk about here. And we know your thoughts on Vladdy, but Vladito's at pick 56. Pete Alonso's at pick 60. Luke Voigt, he's kind of fallen a little bit down to pick 69. So, you're probably passing over this area completely. But if we had to differentiate between these three guys, which a lot of people do like, obviously, do you prefer Voight, Alonzo, or uh, Vladito, which I'm pretty sure Vlad's not on the table here. <laughs> yeah, I'm, of, of these three, I think I like Alonzo the most. I think Alonzo is the guy I feel surest about in terms of just raw power. So he's not going to help you in stolen bases or batting average. So again, I'm probably not drafting him in this particular spot. But I think when you look at just, you know, the simple, what does his projection give me? Do I believe it? And then what does that value valuation look like? It's, it's a really strong uh, evaluation. And so, you know, I believe in the projection that he's getting. And let me just look at it really quickly right here. Um, I want to say he's about a $20 player if my memory is serving me correctly. Alonzo. So Alonzo is a yeah $18 player. So he's ranked uh, 60th, so right around his ADP. And that's according to ATC projections. So I, I like him. I like him a decent amount. I've seen him fall like in the in that mid-70s range. I think I might be cons- I might consider grabbing him there. But again, I just think the thing that differentiates Guy at this spot is is batting average or stolen bases, and neither one provides it. On Vlad Jr., I think I feel I feel like I've talked about it on this program before, so I won't belabor the point. But my challenge with with Vlad Jr. is that he has such a high ground ball rate, and he has always had such a ground ball high ground ball rate. And his projections really like him from a batting average perspective because I think they're still looking back at his minor league performance. And I think the thing that we need to recognize is that his minor league performance is an aberration because guys don't get the BABIPs that he got on ground balls in the major leagues because defenders are better, they're better positioned, they have more data in order to position themselves better. And the thing about Vlad is he does have great exit below, like average exit below, max exit below. But when you look at exit below where it actually matters in line drives and fly balls, he's not actually that high up there. And I'm not sure his swing is tailored for that. And so my major questions are just, can he get the ground ball rate down? And then if he gets the ground ball rate down, I mean, his his career home run per fly ball rate is below league average. It's 13.7%. So it's not just a matter of hitting more fly balls because that's also going to impact his batting average as well. And so I, I think he's in this kind of spot where if he starts hitting more fly balls, yes, the home runs will come, but I don't think the batting average will maybe come. So, and then if he continues doing what he's going to do, he's going to hit like 270 with maybe 25 home runs and decent counting stats because he's in the Blue Jays lineup, but it's not because he's Vlad Jr. And I joked around about them trading him. And the reason I said that is because, yes, he's got all this potential, and yes, he could become really, really great. But he is a DH only, as far as I'm concerned. He's not good in the field. 
And if he's DH only without any speed and, you know, maybe good power, maybe not, I don't think that's a valuable profile. And so I think the hype around him at this point in his career is more valuable and potentially what you could get on the other end of it versus if you wait a year or two and he continues to do what he's done, he's no different than, you know, how many other hitters in, in baseball who aren't great hitters and are like first base DH only profiles. And at that point in time, you have very little value that you're able to get from him. And hitting isn't a need that they have. They have no need for hitting at this point in time, right? They have a strong need for pitching. So if they could translate that into, just imagine like a Luis Castillo. I don't know if you could get Castillo for Vlad Jr., but that's just the example of, of kind of what I was what I was saying. So that's a little bit there. I'll stop because nobody wants to hear me talk about it again. I think with Void, I don't have a problem really with Void, but again, it's just the profile. I don't... Um, I don't believe in as much and a little bit of injury last year, but I could see why he could be really good again. Again, he's going to be in with the Rangers uh, in the Yankees lineup. So overall, it's a fine a group of uh, fine guys, except for Vlad Jr. for me, but I probably won't draft them. Yeah, I haven't found myself taking Vlad at all, but uh, when it comes to Voight and Alonzo, I'm finding myself liking Alonzo more, except Voight, you know, the ADP at 69, but he's going as low as 94. And that's when it starts getting pretty attractive when he starts creeping in the 80s or so. I, I start looking at him a little more because, you know, with these guys going on pick 60-ish, like uh, Alonzo's going, that's like you said, you get another bat. You got outfielders and middle infielders that are stealing bases for you. They're helping in all categories where these guys are not. So it comes down to, do you feel comfortable getting steals later? Did you go and get a big steal guy early, like a Tatis or something along those lines? It, it depends. But uh, the way, you know, you're getting pitching early, I'm starting to get pitching early you're probably not getting that stolen base comfort that you're going to want in the four or five area to uh, go and take an Alonzo or a Voight. My other problem is uh, a first baseman I love a lot that I've talked about a ton on this show and other places, and he's going uh, pick 182 over 100 picks later. Uh, you look at the bat X projections, Reese Hoskins has very similar projections, if not slightly better, minus five home runs than Pete Alonzo and better than Luke Voight. I know projections are projections. It's not the end-all be-all. But you can find similar profiles to an Alonzo or a Voight. Like if Alonzo goes nuts, we know he can hit 50 plus homers. I don't see he, Hoskins hitting 50 plus homers. But Hoskins in the middle of that lineup, if things are clicking right, um, he can still produce pretty good, especially 120 picks later. And uh, there's other arguments you can make for you know the safety of a Goldie or a Rizzo or Mustakis, um, even if he starts to stays healthy. Like there, there's there's guys that can play going later at first base that doesn't make me want to run and take these guys right now. So that's the dilemma. It's such a great point because when we talk about scarcity, it's not necessarily there's a scarcity of good first baseman. I mean, there kind of is, but it's also a scarce. It's the scarcity of category that we talk about so often. And home runs aren't scarce. Like you mentioned, you just mentioned like five names of guys who aren't going to hit as many home runs as Alonzo, but can provide similar production for a, a lot lower cost. Yeah, it's it's you know it's we've talked about it on previous shows. Like, when do you reach for guys? Well, in some of these early drafts, like I circle Hoskins and maybe a couple other later first basemen, and once I see like one go and I know I have a ways to go to my pick, I start jumping. And it's I'm not going like four rounds early, but according to quote unquote ADP, I might be going a round early or something, which doesn't break my heart. And uh, you know, I got a guy I feel comfortable placing every day. So and then I, I I'm gonna probably write about it, so I don't have to blabber about it for for many more podcasts, but. I know Hoskins looks like he's had some troubles, but if you look at the the deeper numbers, 
they were very similar last year in the short sample to his very good seasons a couple years ago. So it was one of those deals. Maybe a, a full season might have straightened things out a little more. I don't know. I'm trying to stay optimistic when it comes to Hoskins at his uh, draft price this year. The next group of guys we'll talk about, we kind of hit on them. Um, can I just year. can I just say something really quickly, Bubba? Yeah. I'm draft right now, mm-hmm. and my pick was in two picks. And the guy two picks in front of me took JT Realmuto in the third round. I wore my Phillies hat today. He just signed as a free agent. I wore my Phillies hat specifically so that I could draft him while this podcast was happening. Announced to the world that I that I drafted JT Realmuto with my Phillies hat on, with his new contract and everything else. And some guy just took him. Well, I think, I think I'm going to have to buy a Phillies hat because now that you mentioned it, I think I have between Harper, McCutcheon, Hoskins, Real Muto, and Wheeler, uh, I have a lot of Phillies activity this year. So this might be a, an investment for the podcast. But um, the next crew we got here, Matty Olson, the eighth one off the board at pick 98, Goldschmidt at 102, and Rizzo at 104. It's a, we, we talked kind of Goldie and Rizzo before. To me, they really haven't moved a ton. Like They moved up a little bit, but they're still in that kind of – 9-10 range of first baseman off the board. Olsen's dropped a little bit, but when you look at those three, how do you decipher that situation with uh, about a month later now? Yeah, I think Olsen falls into the similar category of Alonzo and Voight a little bit. I think the thing that concerns me about Olsen is, is the batting average floor is lower than those other guys. And so, again, I don't know if there's anything particularly special for Olsen. Lefty who pulls the ball a ton as well. It's hard to get that batting average up because, yeah, he hits a decent amount of fly balls and, and, and line drives. But those ground balls are just going to get eaten up by the shift uh, forever. And so I, I worry about that. I really like Goldie and Rizzo. Um, Rizzo, to a lesser extent, I think. I just think Goldie, I'm a little bit more confident that the skills are going to hold up don't see a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of fall there and i think he's he's in a good position right i assume he's going to back back clean up now with arenado in front of him possibly de Jong and edmund so it's not a, a bad situation there and i think he's due some positive regression from his last season where there really wasn't any much given the skill at all and yet you know he really didn't have much to show for himself in, a, in the power department Rizzo, I think, is very solid. Just the approach, everything continues to be really solid. So I think they're both really stable profiles for me. I just think Rizzo, I have a little bit more question about the power. And I think from a stolen base perspective, they're fairly similar in in what they might be able to give you there and pretty similar in batting average as well. So I give a little bit of a boost to Goldie just because I, I worry less. Um, you know, that there's some erosion in the, in the skills for him. I do like Rizzo as well. I've just found myself taking Goldie maybe a little bit more recently than Rizzo. Yeah, when you look at the projections, they're pretty darn similar, but I like the setup for Goldie, like you mentioned. Um, it's one of those uh, instances when you look at roster resource, and you'll be like, yeah, I don't think you got this one right. They have Goldie batting second and Carlson batting fourth. Like, I'd have Carlson and his OBP skills batting second to get on base and run in front of Arenado and Goldie. That's just me, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Regardless, it's a, it's a much more improved lineup with Arenado. Um, there's just the talks about last season, you know, first season, the injury a little bit, uh, just a lot of 
odd situations there for Goldie, the COVID situation with the Cardinals. Like you just you name it, the Cardinals had it last year. So I'm with you on Goldie. It's a guy like he's not going to run like he used to. That's a given. But uh, Rizzo's got back problems, and I'm not saying it's going to shut him down for the year. But you never know when those things are going to to you know rile themselves up. So if they're going as close as they are in drafts, you got to lean Goldie to me. And then Olson, I'm always a big Olson fan. If you're one of those guys that likes a um, an Alonzo, you should like a, an Olson because the best you're going to get is maybe a 255 average if you're lucky, and um, and that's awesome. The power is legit, like Toby said. He's going to ground out a lot, but he's going to hit a lot of home runs. His biggest thing, and I know like uh, Mike Curlin has uh, put some info out on it, some other guys. His swing and miss game is just bad right now, like really bad on fastballs and everything. So he's going to make some adjustments. We'll see how that goes. So yeah, it's a. We're on the same page here. Goldie, Rizzo, Olsen. I got no problem if you want to go Rizzo over Goldie. It's it's really, really close, but uh, that's the way I kind of uh, select those two. All right. The next glob down, we, we drop down a little bit here, and it gets a little more interesting when we get to uh, the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd first basemen off the board. This is where the depth comes in we're talking about because, you know, Hoskins was 19, Walsh was 20, but Miguel Sano – the 21st first baseman at pick 199. You got Christian Walker, like 199 and a half. And then Trey Mancini, 200. So they're all getting picked right next to each other. It's almost like people are drafting going, oh, crap. I need to get another guy. So this is the run of first baseman. So you got Sano, Walker, Mancini. How do you go into these three? I'm not super interested in Sano just because I think the batting average floor is so low. And, and when you're playing a lot of NFBC, that's just not something I think you want to take a risk in, <clears throat> in taking on. So, you know, I, I can see the value. I could see where he could have that year that he's never had before. But I think the shot, the chances that he has a terrible average or he gets injured or, you know, whatnot is, is equally, if not much greater than that, because that's kind of who we've seen. I think with Walker, the skills are very solid. I don't think there's anything spectacular there, but where he's going, I think he's he's generally solid and he should play every day and, and get an opportunity. And there's been some growth and certain skills. Like it's it's not very often that you find kind of some of the stat cast metric um, things that he's able to produce with the contact rate that he's also been able to produce recently. So, and, and there's a little bit of speed there too. So I do like Walker, although I have not found myself um, targeting him or, or drafting him at all. Um, and then uh, similarly, I think with Mancini, I know he's your Trey Boo Boo. So, and I feel like I should probably have him because he's being discounted for an injury that, you know, you know, he had cancer. Um, and so it's a question of whether he'll be able to regain that strength and, and the ability. It's not necessarily, you know, one of those lingering issues per se, um, like a, like a muscle or something like that, that you might, um, worry about, not that you're not worried about cancer, but, um, so I don't know enough about the recovery there. I should probably do a little bit more research and, and figure it out because we know he's, he's been absolutely excellent. He's going to play every day for the Orioles. It's a great park. It's a great situation for him. So maybe I should do a little bit more digging and just to try to figure out like what, what is the prognosis? Like, how do we feel like his body's going to react? Cause it seems like he's, He's he's back, generally speaking. So you may know more info because I know you've you've done a deep dive on him recently. Yeah, I'm in the process of uh, an article on him, and I've been kind of reading some different deals. And every report points that he's 
good to go. He's been training. There's like little clips of him taking BP. Uh, the team is excited. They just said the other day they plan on him playing first base every day. Like that's what they're seeing. Um, he said he's fully healthy and ready to go. It was one of those, like there's some stories that, you know, the Orioles were not going to be contenders last year, but there were points towards the end of last year. Like if they were desperate, he could have got himself up to like play like DH or something, which would have been dumb to begin with just to push it during those COVID errors. Like it's already bad enough now that being as immunocompromised as he is, that's the biggest question mark I have. Like we talked about Carrasco last year. He made it work. Obviously we've talked about it with all these teams. If you're diligent, you can make this work. You have, you're, you have a lot of money. You have a lot of resources. It's not like you're having to, to fight it out in the crowds to, to risk, uh, you know, getting COVID and everything. So he should be okay in that regard. But, Hopefully uh, he gets the vaccine. I, I would hope yeah. he already has it. But, yeah. um, like, there's lists of people that should have it. And um, if you had cancer, especially recently, you should probably have it right now. Just going to throw that out there. But that's not the case, unfortunately. <laughs> as, yeah. as you know, dealing with, the, with your world and uh, the, the things I've talked to certain people that I know, um, that's not the case. But it, I, it should be the case. Um, so in this group, I like Mancini. This is one of those – in the last month, he's gone as high as 166, or as low as 166, I should say. If um, I shrunk this down, that's probably in the last couple of weeks. As the news keeps coming out, I'm assuming he's um, he's going to be moving up this board because 23rd first baseman for Trey Boo Boo is not right. If you like look at his numbers for the last three years, he's improved in every category you pretty much want, like barrels, hard hits, ISO, WOBAs, ex-WOBAs, ex-WOBACONs. Like, you just go down the list, his contact skills – are a little above average in every facet. He's very, very good. He's a very good hitter um, in that ballpark. And it's a it's a typical bad Orioles team that'll have a fun fantasy production offensively. Like it, it's it's going to be a good situation there. So Trey Boo Boo is going to be moving up the board, and he's a guy that I have circled to start being a little more aggressive on with the news that's coming out. After that, I love Walker. I love the fact that you can get a few steals this late from a first baseman, but I'd rather Trey Mancini at this point. And then Miguel Sano. Literally, I'll bring it back to Pete Alonso all over again. If you want Pete Alonso, you can wait and get Miguel Sano at 198. It's similar profile. Alonso plays a little bit better batting average if he's clicking right, but and maybe better OBP as well. But Sano, power-wise, you're not going to find anybody better. He just can't stay on the field. That's his problem. So if Miguel Sano could play 140 games, he could play out home run Pete Alonso. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But give me Trey Boo Boo in this range. A uh, big fan of what I've looked into the last uh, few weeks on him. Hey, Bubba. Breaking news. Ooh, what do we got? Nelson Cruz re-signs with the Twinkies. Oh, I was going to say Twins, and then I was going to say Twinkies. and uh, Resigns with the Twins for one year. So uh, there you go. You're not into it, huh? My problem with that is, is because I was hoping when they signed um, Andrelton Simmons – you know, you put either Polanco or Arias at second and third base. You move Donaldson to DH mm. and let Sano play first. Now Arias most likely goes into utility because I'd imagine they play Polanco every day at second base because they've already said Polanco could be a goal of a second baseman. Um, we know Donaldson gets hurt a lot. Miguel Sano, I just said, gets hurt a lot. So that'll all play itself out probably. But um, I, I like Cruz in Minnesota. Don't get me wrong. I think that's phenomenal. I'm just wondering how they're going to, work these guys like Arias is a phenomenal, especially in DC's draft and holds average asset late. That just, he just sits on the waiver or, or in the draft room forever. And he just eventually just pull the trigger on him. So curious to see how that plays out, but 
it's great for the Twins. It's a great baseball move. It's good fantasy wise if you bought into Nelson Cruz. Like, does it move Cruz up at all for you? Because he was going, I can look it up. Top of my head, he was going around pick one hundred. He was going later than usual. Um, let me. It's because he's up. toast. Yeah, he's too old, <laughs> and we've heard this story toast. every season. This is it. This is the too year. Old. Too this is the old. year, Bubba. I've already, I've already talked about it. Over in the month of January, he was going that pick one hundred nine, as high as eighty, as low as one thirty nine. So, like, that's got us, I'd imagine, skyrocket almost. But what do you think on uh, Nelly Cruz going back to the Twins? Yeah, I um, should I draft him at pick 38 right here? I wouldn't uh, skyrocket him that high. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually – I'm not really drafting him this year. I know everybody loves Nelly Cruz and he's going to go forever. But I think I'm, I've mentioned this in a previous – so, again, won't belabor it because I know how everybody loves for me to belabor things like – JT Realmuto, but obviously, you know, short season uh, aside, ground ball rate went up, swung and missed a lot more last year. You know, that contact rate is down at 68% now. So I just, I just think there's too many, too much with like the health and everything that's going on. His max exit velo was down like two and a half miles per hour as well. Still great. Barrel rate was still great. So I think he's good. I just think there's a lot of risk there. And I actually, I mean, I'm going to get criticism from every everything everywhere for saying this, but I actually really don't like filling my util spot with a util guy, having been through that more so in DCs maybe, but it really does. It clogs the team and I'm, I'm not into it. I'm not into it. I'm not into Nelly. I won't have any shares of Nelly this year. So I, wonder, I apologize for all of you who are who are Nelly fans out there. Please, I hope yeah. you continue listening to the podcast. No, it makes sense. I, I've like I've been a big Nelly guy, and I'm starting to kind of waver on, especially early in the draft, like you know, the the Jordan Alvarez's of the world and stuff. Knowing you're you're sticking a utility guy right out the gate, it really messes with your draft flexibility in a big way. So it makes it tough. Um, I wonder if. This is like, what, 24, 36 hours after the MLPA basically said, no, we're not having the DH. And then he signs with the Minnesota, just like that. So there goes wonder, your leverage. Yeah, it makes me, wonder, yeah, makes me wonder how that one planned out. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, keep an eye on Minnesota. Really, yeah, poor guy. But uh, um, Josh Bell, he signed with the Washington Nationals a couple weeks ago. He slotted in the middle of that lineup, a lineup that – it's slowly looking a little better. Still has a few holes. It wasn't what it once was, but you know, you got Trey, you got um, you got Soto still, and then you know Castro's there, and some other pieces to the puzzle. Schwarber is in town now. Um, the projections actually like Bell quite a bit. It, mm. uh, it it makes me look at him going like I was on I was on Bell the year he went off, and then I've been afraid to touch him ever since. But like you look at the bad X, thirty two homers, two sixty nine. 88 homers, 94 RBIs, even a couple steals. Um, I know ATC, he's always liked him. You know, he's got he's got him a fewer homers, 28 homers compared to 32, but still a 262 average is not bad. Um, when you look at Bell, he's going to pick 156 uh, between Hosmer and Mountcastle. Do you have any interest in Josh Bell now he's leaving Pittsburgh, going to Washington? Yeah, I actually drafted him for the first time in my in my last DC. I think if you look at him from last year, it's kind of a worst case scenario where the skills just fell off. They just totally fell off. He was God awful. He can't really play worse than that. 
And then when you look at the line, yeah, it was 226. But he still had eight home runs, 22 runs, 22 RBI. None of those figures are good. But when you consider the context, he was in arguably or inarguably, I guess you could figure it out, but like the worst lineup in all of baseball with the Pirates. You know, everybody was struggling. He really started off very poorly to begin with, with the contact rate. You know, over the first 30 games of the season, his contact rate was down at like 62%, his overall contact rate. So way down there. But then it, it rose back up to closer to his three-year average. The ground ball rate was also up a lot. But I think these are things that you can fix, especially when you have all of spring training to work on them. I also think you have the stat cast metrics, which you can't really dispute in terms of, you know, a high max exit velo, you know, so there's that, that potential there that we know exists. He's going to be in a really good lineup. I think there will be renewed motivation. You know, that's obviously narrative and not analysis, but I do think there's something to that, right? I mean, he even said it leaving, like this is a new thing for him to be playing somewhere where the expectation is that you're going to win. And Nationals Park is is a really sneaky hitters hitter friendly park, so I think he's got a lot going for him in that sense. And I think when you look at the projection again, and you don't have to assume pr the projections are right, but I mean a 262, ATC has him at 262, 28 home runs, 81 runs, 90 RBI. When you think about where he's going to be in that lineup, you know he'll probably be hitting, I assume fourth. You know, so probably what um, Trey Boo Boo batting second, Soto batting third, him batting fourth. Who am I missing that's going to be Schwarber? Schwarber more like a number five to me. I mean, you could move them all up. Turner, Turner one, Soto two. I mean, I wouldn't mind that at all. No. Either way, he's going to be in a lineup where he's got nice guys in front of him who get on base. And he's got he's gonna have a lot of opportunities for RBI and then a decent middle of the lineup that can knock him into. So I I, I dig him. I dig him. I don't know if I dig him enough to have him be one of my guys, but I like him. Yeah, I'm starting to, to buy into him some more. And it's one of those deals like his numbers improved from 2019 was quality of contacts. You mentioned his contact skills. You like you look at his um his success versus different pitch types. He just can't hit an off-speed pitch to save his life. Curveballs, sliders, changeups. Like it's just his X his X stats on those numbers last year were horrific. In 2019, they were pretty good. 2018, they were pretty good. Um, he's always had a decent success. They were just off the charts horrible last year. So maybe it makes a few adjustments, maybe a different uh, hitting coach, uh, sitting there with Juan Soto, who can sit can pretty much hit anything. Just picking his brain might help. I think he's definitely uh, in for a much better season. Does he come back to that guy we saw to, to start, what, 2018? Probably not. But is he going to be very, very good? I think he'll be much better and work, definitely worth the draft pick, like you said. Uh, the last question I have here at the position, because uh, we'll move the late round topics to the uh, question part of the show, as there's a lot of listener questions regarding that. Um, Rowdy Thales, a guy I really liked. I'm pretty sure a guy you I remember you liking as well. The Blue Jays have spent a lot of money since we talked about first base last time, Toby, and it looks like Rowdy Telez potentially could be in a platoon situation, even though he should be on the strong side of it. Um, he's gone as high as 196, as low as 341. His average uh, draft position is 242 for January. What are you doing with Rowdy Telez now? Because I was drafting him early in my last couple of drafts. I have not even touched him. Yeah, I haven't really touched him all draft season, to be honest with you. 
I think the just the question mark about the plate appearances is a big one. Obviously, he's got some skills working with him, you know, the high batting average, or I mean, not the high batting average, but um, uh, the good uh, contact skills coupled with some of the nice uh, stat cast data, you know, that he's been able to provide. But I just don't see him getting full-time plate appearances. And where he's going in drafts, I I still see, I just, I, I'm not necessarily targeting him around there. It's not necessarily the profile that, that I want to get. And so, you know, it's just hard because you look at everything he did last year to be really good and yeah, it was, I guess it was good and it wasn't a ton of plate appearances, but I guess it's fine. I guess he's just another, he's just a guy where if that's, if he breaks out, then I miss it and I miss it, but I just think there's too much, too many question marks around too many question marks around what his role is and not any skill that really jumps out as differentiating him at this particular draft cost. And I also like some of the first baseman going later more. So, you know, what, what I'm looking to do is if he keeps dropping, especially in their DCs draft and holds, I'm going to start jumping back on him because if you have the ability to, if you're you know, comfortable, you already got maybe three first basemen or whatever, you're, you're good in your corner infield. I don't mind grabbing him later because there are going to be stretches where guys are hurt or whatnot, where he gets to run. Um, we've seen it in the past, you know, been 111 games, 2019, 21 homers at 277. That's a lot of production you could fill in there that you're not going to find, you know, 21 home runs uh, where he's going to be going late in the draft with that kind of a, yeah, 227 average. Sorry, misspoke there. But uh, uh, before that, 314 after that, 283. So 227, kind of a, an ab- abnormality. But um, I'm, I'm a big fan of what he can do when he is on the field. You know, maybe Vlad, I'm not going to say he gets hurt, but maybe something happens there or, you know, there's a DH role that opens up where they make a trade. Like, I don't think they're done doing things yet. Even the the projections, you know, ATC's got them for 126 games. The bats got them for 100 games. They're, they both got them over 20 homers, hitting 250 to 260, basically. That'll play at some point throughout the season. So if he keeps dropping, I'm going to be much more in trade day. We're going around pick 340 now. I wouldn't be shocked if he drops closer to 400 here in the next couple of weeks. They don't make any moves. And that's when he becomes a little more attractive again. So I'm going to keep my eye on Telez for sure. Here's a question, just yes. because I'm annoying like this. Um, if you um, if you gave Telez uh, the same amount of plate appearances as Vlad Jr. Telez outperforms him. You think so? I do. Yeah. yeah. Vlad might have a better batting average, but power production-wise, all uh, – I'll say all five categories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or at least the you know the runs, homers, RBIs. Like he'll, uh, I think he outproduces them. Yeah, I mean Rowdy Tellez has a ninety-five point nine mile per hour exit velo on fly ball and line drives, which is thirty seventh among p- players with fifty or more batted balls. And Vlad Junior is ninety four point six ninetieth. There's going to be some angry listeners based on that little discussion we've had there, but uh, it's fun. It'll, it'll rile it up because I think it's a good question. I think it brings to light what um, snags, I guess, you could get with Vladito. One of these years, I think Vlad's going to put it together and it's going to be fun. I just, like, I'm with you. I just probably won't have him when he does it. So we'll see. Uh, let's head to the third base position where um, J Ram is still the top guy off the board around pick 11 to 12. 
he's gone as high as pick five, as low as pick 21. Obviously, he is now no Lindor in town. They did pick up Eddie Rosario, which is a very nice addition. Oh, you will enjoy an upgrade, that. for <laughs> sure. For sure, an upgrade on Lindor hey, all around. I just had a piece come out on him, and when I dove into that park and his swing and everything, I'm excited for Eddie Rosario, to tell you the truth. But um, sure. what's your thoughts on uh, Jose Ramirez? Are you still same old Jose to you? Or are you concerned at all with, with, with Lador out of town? Uh, I think I'm fine with him. I think, you know, I think whatever he loses in what Lindor was able to provide in terms of setting the table for him, I think he may gain with a little bit more. I mean, not that he didn't have had any issues stealing bases, but I think they're going to have to generate runs in a new way, be a little bit more aggressive. Maybe there's fewer RBI opportunities, but you know, I think if he can do the 25-25 with, you know, 85 runs, 85 RBI and and the batting average, which will fluctuate from like, you know, 260 to 290 or something like that. You know, I think that's that's all that's all good. And there's certainly upside there with what he he could be able to to provide. I think for him, you know, he's just such a streaky player that you just hope he gets those two really hot streaks during the course of a season and he doesn't start off. A little bit slower but i'm totally fine with getting him i also think there's such a benefit to having him at third base i think it gives you a lot of options roster construction wise just from the top you make that pick and as you're looking for you know stolen bases you don't have to be so as reliant on the positions that we normally focus in on for that so so i, I really like j ram still he, he doesn't really fall he doesn't really fall in my mind although you have to remember that i'm probably not picking him in the first round i'd rather have one of the aces as opposed to him in that particular spot. But yeah. Yeah. I'm still fine with him. I took him at pick 12 in the battle of the pods league. So I'm not too, and that was after the Lindor trade. So I'm not too concerned there. And since then they've, you know, signed Rosario, they've signed Cesar Hernandez. It's a really good OBP guy to go in front of him. So that's, they're slowly putting pieces together that should make things at least decent for J Ram. Just get on base, steal some bags, hit some homers. I'll be very, very happy with that. Um, the other big move that took place that um, I guess the Rockies are uh, giving away players now and money, um, Nolan Arenado to the Cardinals. He's currently the fourth third baseman off the board. He's gone as high as 24, as low as 50. Um, I know there's discussions of him dropping more. For me, personally, I have him after Rendon, Devers, and Bregman, but I kind of had that before this trade. I'm just – I'm just – I like the overall skills of Rendon. I, I have Devers over all those guys. But um, what are your thoughts on Rendon? Like, is he falling a lot for you? Is he fall a little bit um, going to St. Louis? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm going to draft that draft right now, and he went at, at the 2-3 turn. So I was kind of curious to see where he was going to end up. He went, I think, right – I think he went pick 30. Uh, you know, I'm not, I, I, it's a huge drop for me. I know everybody's talking about it, and it's not – you know, that, that, yeah, there won't be like, I'm not really worried about the home away thing in, in Colorado because I think guys have shown that they can still be successful, but he's going from potentially the best place, the best hitting environment in all of baseball to one of the worst hitting environments in all of baseball in St. Louis. You know, we've seen how that's impacted Goldie last year a little bit. You know, obviously there was some bad luck involved there, but it's, it's a cavernous place. Um, and so I'm a little concerned about that. Obviously, the power plays anywhere, but when you look at his like stack cast metrics, they've never been exciting, really. 
um, or very good, honestly, you know, for at least for an elite level hitter, um, you know, the batting average is going to take a little bit of a tumble because he's moving from, you know, from cores, um, outside of that. So I don't think that it's necessarily just the fact he's leaving cores. I think it's also where he's going and what that means for his fantasy profile a little bit. I still think he's a good player, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be interested in drafting him kind of where he's going. Cause you know, you're not getting speed and you, and, and for me, the biggest impact is going to be the batting average because Coors actually isn't a huge home run part. So, so you're kind of getting hit on the one thing that can really carry the profile for him. And so I'm going to pass generally speaking, but yeah. Yeah, no, that's pretty much where I'm at. Like I said, I had it below those guys already. It's not a crazy drop from there because he's currently, you know, 30 pick 34 dropping him past Bregman takes him past pick 46. Now the question is like, does Biggio pass him at 59? I still kind of want Arenado over Biggio. That's where it gets interesting. The next guy after Biggio is Moncada at 82. And then it's like, someone's going to take him before that happens. I'll probably take him. Like if you get him, if you get him towards the end around four and around five where Biggio's going, I'll snag him up at that point. Like that's, that's pretty appealing. Like where does he have to fall for you to jump on board for Arenado? Yeah. I just don't, I won't draft him. Like he'll never get to me at a point. He'll never really get to me, to me at a point where I'm going to be super interested in what I think he's going to give me, you know? Cause it's like, I just, I'm just not interested in him. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. The the bat X, um, Derek Cardi's uh, stat uh, projections that uses Statcast as well. Um, two sixty four, thirty four homers, eighty seven runs, ninety nine RBIs, two steals, and he's already uh, updated for that for the Cardinals. I'm not sure Ariel has or not yet because he usually takes a day or two to to do him afterwards for the ATC. But um, Ariel is actually high, much higher average, but lower. Um, and the other production categories. So still not a bad line, but yeah, it, it, it's a rough go for sure when it comes to Arenado. I'm still upset at, at ATC because of how it sees Alex Bregman. ATC hates Alex Bregman. And I know you hates. like Alex Bregman. I love him. Yeah, I, I'm 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 flabbergasted, quite frankly. I'm just kidding, of course. I mean, I, I love ATC. Although, if Ariel is does listen to this, I, I do hope he, he'll explain to me Alex Bregman being ranked 78th overall um, according to my evaluations. That's pretty low for what you enjoy with Bregman. But speaking of Bregman, we have a group of guys. You have your Ramirez we talked about. Machado goes in round two. But then you go into um, round four-ish area. You have Rendon, Devers, Bregman, five, six, seven. We just talked about Arenado probably falls behind them, but pick 43, 44, 46. So they're all jumped together. It's kind of like, okay, this is the end of the the kind of upper tier third baseman. Let's go get them now before they're all gone. Um, you took uh, Bregman at pick 47 in the Battle of the Pods League. Um, with these three, how do you differentiate? You still Bregman over both of them, or, or what are you doing now? Uh, I would go Devers, Bregman, Rendon, I think. Um, I just think that um, I like Devers a lot. I think just as a package, I think – I mean, him and Bregman are probably pretty similar in terms of speed. Um, I think Devers, from a batting average perspective, I actually think I trust him a little bit more. Bregman's got a great batted ball profile, but he does hit a lot of fly balls. And so, you know, he's never been kind of a three, a guy who can get to that ceiling of, of say, 300, 
least I don't think he, he ever has, although that's just kind of an arbitrary mark. So I should probably look at it. But I, I just think Devers is a little bit more of a dynamic bat for me. So I think I prefer Devers to Bregman, but I like them both a lot. And I would love to get them in the third or fourth round uh, for either one of them. And then I think I have Rendon after that. And I think Rendon is Rendon is solid, but the speed is, is disappearing a little bit. Um, I don't know if he's going to get zero stolen bases again. Remember, he had that oblique, and then I think he might have had a leg injury last year too. So I think he gets a, a little bit of stolen bases, and I think the batting average is solid. I think the home runs will be solid, and he'll be in a great great environment with, with, with Trout right next to him. So I generally like all three of them, but in that order, I think I'd take Devers, Bregman, and then a little after that, Rendon for me. Yeah, we have, we have the same order. Like, I absolutely love Devers. I have him. Um, I think he's. I got. I got him third, maybe um, as my third base, right behind Ramirez and Machado. I think he's got the potential to be in the Ramirez discussion at some point in time. He won't steal as many bases as Ramirez, but I think when it comes to all the other categories, and he, I think he could steal ten bags. Like, if he gets into ten bags, you're you're sitting pretty where he's going in drafts. So, I like Devers quite a bit. Bregman, I agree, should be bouncing back this year. Um, but when it comes to Devers, you've talked about it before, and some others have. You know, he's in the school of J.D. Martinez. Let's watch film, and he didn't get to watch film last year. So, I think Devers is much more in play. Bregman should definitely bounce back. I'm, we're, I'm team Astros are bouncing back this year, so that'll be fun to watch. And the reason I'm, I'm high on Rendon, and I guess it's kind of similar to why I have him and Arenado kind of next to each other, is neither one's really going to steal, but they're going to be steady eddies when it comes to the other four categories. Uh, you know, Arenado's still on a decent Cardinals team. Bregman on a pretty nice Angels lineup right now. I get that they built around him with Trout and company. So I think Bregman will, will, you know, he'll be healthy this year. He started last year, like I said, hurt. Like he missed the first few games. I kind of last year, I kind of put as a wash. So I think uh, Rendon really comes back in a, a nice way next year. I mean, Bregman's 26. I don't see a reason why he would just yeah. fall off. No, there's 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 more to it, and it's one of those I I wouldn't buy too much into that for sure. Um, when we look at the next grouping, Yoan uh, Moncada is the ninth uh, third baseman. Eugenio Suarez, the tenth third baseman, going to pick like eighty three and eighty four, right next to each other, kind of the next big fall off point for third base guys. Um, I've preached how much I love Yoan Moncada. Where do you stand in this this grouping? Yeah, I mean, I think I I, I, def, I like Mankata more than Suarez just because I think Mankata can contribute across the board. Suarez, you know, last year again, I mean, we saw a drop off in, in the contact rate for the second consecutive year. But he also had a 214 BABIP, which was driving the really low batting average, the 202. So again, you know, the projection has him at like 245. Uh, for ATC, the bat has him at closer to like 255, 260. So, you know, there's a lot of power there. There's a lot of RBI. The Reds don't have, aren't going to have a great lineup. You know, he's one year older and he's not going to contribute in, in speed or batting average. So I'm a little hesitant there. I do think Mankata, I really should be higher on, on Mankata than I have been so far. I think I have him in one or two teams. But I really do think, I mean, there's no reason, again, he's, he's super young. He's like Bregman. I think he's 26, 25. There's no reason why his growth should just stop like that um, outside of the COVID diagnosis. And he's already said that he's feeling better. He talked about it last year in the middle of the season, how he just never was able to get that energy back. 
And I think he has a lot to prove. So I'm, I'm hopeful that he's going to be really good. And I wish I had more of him and I really should have more of him. And so maybe I'll have to do something about that. Well, the good thing is you'll probably have about 20 more drafts to go. So you have, you have time to make up for that. He's ticking. I'm only having one going at a time. That's kind of my rule. That's it only good. takes that's, that's about a week to get through each one. I've actually been good. I've only had multiple drafts going once, and that was because it was it was a scheduling snafu. I'm really excited <laughs> for TGFBI to get started, though, like to have a real yeah. draft to do. I've, I've kind of been itching to do maybe like an OC, kind of get the 12-teamers out of the way before I really – focus in because it's really hard to move from the 15 to the 12. Everything looks so bad in 15 when you've been in a 12 recently. So yeah, those 12s, like after you've done some 15s, you're like, Oh my goodness, I guess this is, yeah. this is amazing. So yeah, I'm with you there. Um, yeah. It's for me, it's Moncada a hundred percent. I've talked about it. I think the COVID is a big deal. The averages will always be questionable, but he hits the ball so hard. The BABIP's going to be what it is because of the way he hits the baseball powers there. He wants to run. I, I think he's just going to take a, a huge step forward. This go around, um, uh, like the, the Bregman comparison, like comments you made there, he kind of, I think he could put up similar numbers to Bregman personally. That's me. I might be speaking out of school there, but I wouldn't be shocked if by the end of the season we see a lot of similarities in their overall production. And then um, when it comes to Suarez, the thing I'll say with Suarez is you mentioned the Babip situation last year. So his average won't be that bad, but it's never going to be great by any means, but it should be much better than it was last year. One thing you know for him, as long as he's in a great American small park, He's going to hit a lot of home runs. That's just what he does there because he gets the ball the way he does. Um, he's a guy that if you went pitching early and you took a couple chances to fill up other positions and you kind of feel weak on power, he's a guy going around this point in the draft or I, I wouldn't mind taking a chance on a kind of upper home run situation. Because like when you're getting towards like Nelson Cruz's of the world or the next guy with 40-plus homer upside, Suarez offers you a lot more plus his third base. So that's where I think Suarez becomes an interesting discussion. At that point, for me, like a legit 40-plus home run type guy, um, which we talk home runs are, are are scarce, are not scarce, but we're talking guys that hit you know, 20, 25 homers. 40-plus, which Suarez can do, is kind of different at this point in the draft, and especially at a third base position that's tough to find. First base, like we talked about, much deeper in that regard. So that's where I could see people taking a chance on Suarez. Otherwise, it's Moncada for me 100%. All right, uh, the last comparison I have here, and it's it's a fun one because I think I know where we stand on this, but the 16th and 17th, third baseman off the board, I pick 136 and pick 139, Chris Bryant, Cabrian Hayes. Cabrian Hayes is going as high as 106 in some drafts. Chris Bryant still doing his Chris Bryant thing. So are you uh, Hayes over Bryant? Um, I don't know. I'm not really, I'm not really into either one, honestly. Um, I haven't really considered drafting either one. I know, I mean, there's a lot to like with Hayes, with Cabrian Hayes. Um, you know, I think he's, I would probably go with Hayes just because the profile, because of the stolen bases, maybe, because I'm not that into them. But I just think like over 100 plate appearances, anybody can do anything. So it doesn't really tell me kind of what a guy's going to give me and where he's going. I just haven't. He actually fell, I think, to like pick 150 or so in in one of my drafts and i i i didn't i didn't take him there so i'm just not into either one of them really um but i actually i probably would i might go with bryant just because you know he's done it before and you know he's in a much better context i mean the pirates are gonna be dreadful 
which means they'll never bench Hayes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll go with Brian Hayes because he gives you 10 plus stolen bases, 15 plus homers. If things click right, maybe 2015, which is pretty darn awesome. This late at third base. Um, the average, that's one thing he's done pretty well in the minors hit for average. The powers is slowly developing. So I'll keep taking my chance on him. I, I talked to prospect guys that I really respect, and they have nothing but glowing things to say, and that's even kind of before he went bananas last year. So I'll go with the upside of Hayes at this point where Bryant's got question marks. It could be one of those that bites, bites me in the butt because maybe it just puts up that steady production we're used to from Chris Bryant when he's healthy. But uh, give me Brian Hayes on the upside here. I haven't been able to get him in too many places, though, because there's some people that are way more excited about him than I am. So that's that's the problem. Like I like him a lot, but pe- some people are pushing him up in a big, big way. So it's pretty tricky there. All right, let's get into the listener questions, which will cover some of the later options and whatnot. But we have some good ones, as usual, from the crew. And we'll start it off with Mike Kurland himself, Mr. Sleepy K. Who's the biggest riser and follower for you at either corner infield spot? So who's the guy that's um, come up a long ways or fallen a long ways that kind of surprises you so far? Hmm. Um, a big riser. Um, I guess the riser for me right now would probably be Bell, maybe. A guy that I've drafted very high and has been a really big riser, and we don't think of him as a corner infielder, um, is Andres Jimenez. You know, I have some dread because he's on a few of my teams, and I drafted him high given kind of the context over there in, in Cleveland. But I think he can be a league winner if he Jimenez. I drafted him, I think, as early as like 139 or something like that. I just think he can be a real – I mean, the stolen bases – not necessarily hurting you too badly in in um, in power, and I think having a decent batting average, I think he could be a real a real huge asset. And I think he'll play the vast majority of the season. It's just a matter of whether he starts in the in the minors or not, just to delay a little bit. So those are the two guys that are jumping out at me as guys who maybe earlier in the draft season I wasn't interested in, but I have become interested in uh, since the moves took place. So I think those are probably the guys. Yeah, I'm with you on him, and as we could probably bring him up next week too at middle infield, but he's climbing up. There's still a lot of question marks for me, so I haven't been able to kind of pull the trigger on him, but I 100% agree as well. If we know he's like, when he first got traded, it was like, okay, he's going to hit towards the top of the order and play every day. Well, that'll shoot him up a draft board, folks, because I'm with you. He literally, the steals upside that he brings to the table, it's like Mondesi style stuff that he's putting out there. So it's appealing. It's very appealing, but uh, I'm, I'm concerned that uh, they might not start him up there. So that's tricky. Uh, the, the fallers for me, I'll have two and one we could talk about as well next week. Uh, Jake Cronenworth has fallen a ton since mm. the um, all the moves the Padres have made where it seemed like he was the starting second baseman, and now they went and got Kim. They have Profar. They just keep adding guys, and they literally want to have all the depth in the world like they're the Los Angeles Dodgers. So it makes life a little difficult. So Cronenworth's one, and then we talked about Rowdy Telez earlier. He's going to keep falling, I think. So those are two guys for me that I was much higher on about a month or so ago. Things have changed quite a bit on that landscape. All right. The next question we have for you all here from Brian v, Brian P. Vogel on Twitter. Um, Baum, Hayes, or Bryant? Thanks. I told him it's like you almost read my outline. 
But we already kind of compared Hayes and Bryant. Does Alec Baum entering the mix change anything for you? Or Baum? I always say Baum. I could be wrong. No, not really. Um, again, it's these it's these young guys who kind of come on the scene and in a, in a smaller sample size do really well. You know, the 410 BABIP, obviously the 53% ground ball rate. The, the stat cast metrics were really nice. I, I didn't realize how solid he was from a stat cast metrics it was off the chart it was crazy yeah but it's also like a little it's like one of these things where like he had a really high bat barrel rate but he had a super high ground ball rate and so the question is like is is that a um is that a skill he has because there are certain guys who don't need a high ground ball rate but hit a ton of homers because their their exit velocity on fly balls and line drives is really good let's actually check out what boom is yeah, see, that doesn't jive at all to me. Like, I'd be really interested to see what um, what Bohm's deserved barrel rate was. I don't have the pitch leaderboard in front of me, but what his deserved barrel rate was. Because when he he's 144th for guys who had 50 or more in, in exit velocity on fly balls and line drives. He has a super high ground ball rate. So it just tells me that he... I think he got lucky last year, but again, I mean, that doesn't say that doesn't mean he's necessarily bad, but I just, you know, I'm just not interested in spending that high of a draft pick um, on, on a guy like him really um, at all. So none of those three guys interest me really at all. So it's kind of a sad question, Brian. <laughs> I'd rather it's... draft JT Real Muto. I'd rather draft. That was giving me a hard time about it. Yeah, for me, it's still Hayes, but uh, I'm trying to pull up Bomb's info. Like, I love the leaderboard, but, man, this Tableau stuff, it uh, it can reload load a lot. So, um, I'm actually – I just clicked on his name. So, okay, here we go. We actually got somewhere. So, you want deserved barrels for Alec Bohm? Um, we're trying to load that page now. Man, it's going slow. Why uh, deserve- that? I'm on the clock, Bubba. Okay, I've perfect. I've got a decision to make. Pick 38. Do I go with Tim Anderson or Xander Bogarts? I'm always Do Team I, Anderson, but there's some people that love Bogarts. These I days. know Bogarts is super lovable when you dive in, actually. It's like a much more consistent profile, but the stolen bases are a little less. And I'm probably going to go with Anderson. I may regret it. I would love to unite Mookie and, and Xander. I mean, that would be kind of fun like get the get the gang back together right yeah part of me feels like i need to start drafting some xander because i, I feel like i'm gonna miss out on something he's but super, he's super solid you know like good and Larusa like La freaks me the hell out oh, honestly yeah. like with what I'm he's with gonna you. do there but i don't have any anderson at all this year so when, anderson when you look at alec Baum. like 47 percent hard hit basically a dynamic hard hit is 16.7 which is really good as well uh, 10.3% barrel, 7% deserved barrel, which is a little different. He had almost 63% poor contact, um, 35% ground ball rate, as you mentioned. I think he's a good, good, darn good ball player. He's young. We've seen guys develop. So it's just a, it's a tricky one. It's a very, very tricky one. But um, I, I go Cabrian in that situation. But, um, yeah, it's it's one of those where I have not found myself anywhere there. That's That's the problem. Uh, Steve Brunn, at Steve underscore Brunn on Twitter. Based on projections, Eugenio Suarez seems to be a bargain. Are you buying? We kind of hit on this a second ago, but assuming you're not buying? 
I'm not really buying, not because I don't think there's going to be a comeback. I think the comeback is, is will be there, but I'm just not in love with the profile necessarily. Again, a weakness I think is, is I'm, I'm so averse. If, if a guy like the only guys I'll draft like that are catchers, you know, like I'll draft Sal Perez like crazy, but I won't venture down that road with a, with a position player, which, you know, is kind of a fault. And I think, you know, one of the things I think that that I've been thinking about more recently is kind of like the error bars on guys and how earlier on in drafts, I think I've made mistakes in the past in drafting guys with maybe a little bit more volatility because they were so reliant on stolen bases or batting average for their value and maybe trying to hone in a little bit more on guys that that are that are consistently solid. So, you know, maybe, maybe, but at this point in time, I'm not interested, but I do buy in that there will be some rebound. I don't think 2020 is who Suarez is at this point in time. Yeah, I guess the way I I said a second ago, I could see him as a value is if you're looking for a guy with 40 plus home run upside, there aren't a whole lot more as you get deeper in the draft like that. So um, I think that's some appeal uh, for for me. Otherwise, probably not going there just yet. Um, Eric Samolsky at Samsky NYCS. We'd love to hear thoughts on full season of Bobby Dahlback and Cabrian Hayes. Well, we said we talked about Cabrian Hayes quite a bit. Um, what's your thoughts on Bobby Dahlback? Because uh, I am anti Bobby Dahlback. Yeah, I just don't. You know, it sounds like he's going to get regular first base opportunities, but my God, I mean, it's just an ugly, ugly profile. I mean, could not make contact at all. Fifty-six point five percent overall contact rate, including in the zone. You know. The hard hit metrics are off the chart, obviously, but so is a 44.4% home run per fly ball rate. So is a 394 BABIP. So when you hit, when you, when you do go with the projection of like 220 or 231, I actually think that might be a little high, you know, honestly, Um, that just, there's not a lot you can do with that batting average. That's going to interest me that much. He is going on later in drafts. So maybe if you need, if you need that power target, who you think might get access to plate appearances on a consistent basis, then maybe, maybe you go with him, but I just, there's other profiles that I think I'd rather grab even, even going that late in drafts. Yeah. Dahlback's such a, a conundrum. Like I loved playing him in DFS cause he was like dirt minimum and you didn't care if he struck out three times as long as he like homered the one time. So it didn't crush you like it would, you know, consistently in season long type situations because when you look at his profile, it's like he hits the living daylights out of a pitch or he swings and misses. Like it's two true outcomes for Bobby Dahlback, not three. It, it's pretty crazy. Um, you look at the pitch leaderboard: forty-four percent hard hit rate, twenty-nine point three percent dynamic hard hit rate, nineteen point five percent blast rate. So, like all these stats that just talk about how good a guy hits the ball, it's insane. He has a twenty-two percent barrel rate last year. When you look at deserved barrels, it was ten point nine. So that should tell you a big um, oops right out the gate. It's like an eleven percent difference there, but still, you know, he still, man, he um, he, he still had a lot of good production here. Only a twenty eight percent ground ball rate, so he's he's elevating the ball quite a bit. It's just, yeah, there's so much swing and miss. I, I'm not, uh, I'm not going there. I know that much. One last thing I want to mention: he had a forty two point four percent strikeout rate. His deserved strikeout rate was still forty one percent. That's still still not good. Don't care how you break it down. Yeah. So it's a uh, it's it's pretty terrifying when it comes to Bobby Dahlbeck. I think he's fun. Like he's he's a, a DFS type guy to look at when you're stacking the Red Sox because he will play almost every day. 
But uh, for your fantasy team, it's tricky, very tricky. He also asks, why don't people respect Brandon Belt enough? An ADP above 300, come on. I love it. I've been team Belt, I think, for as long as people have known me. So uh, he's going to pick 335 in the month of January. What's your thoughts on Belt? Yeah, you know, Belt is a guy, I think I maybe only have one. I've only drafted him once. Um, yeah, I mean, I like everything that Belt does a lot. I think the challenge is, you know, he's in his age 32 season. He's going to be 33 this season. And he's never really put it together into a season that's super fantasy viable. I mean, arguably his best season ever is 2016 when he hit 275 with 17 home runs, 77 runs, and 82 RBI in 655 plate appearances. So it's like there's a lot of really nice skills there. But at the same time, you know, um, he's never really been able to put it together consistently because of injuries and a variety of different things. And so I can, I am a little concerned about that. That being said, I mean, there are some really nice things in the profile. Like he makes a ton of contact. Um, he walks a lot. Uh, when he hit the ball last year, he hit it hard. He actually had his his max exit velo since 2015 this year. You know, highest exit velocity overall, highest barrel rate by a ton, hardest high, hard hit rate by a ton. So there's a lot to like there. And I think there's also the possibility that he gets moved this season and he would be fantastic in a lot of ballparks um, as a left-handed hitter. Unfortunately, not, not in San Francisco. But I still – I like him. I mean, where you're drafting him I think is, is, is great. I just haven't pulled the trigger yet. I'm normally drafting his teammate, um, Evan Longoria, at that spot just because Longoria, there's a lot less depth at third base, I think, later on. And so I like his profile a little bit more. Yeah, Longo's a great uh, late-round target like you just mentioned. And Belt I love. I have no – I'm not going to tell someone not to draft him because the price tag is great. Um, he's going to be productive. Like he's not going to have the year he had last year just because – in San Francisco, I assume eventually they're going to open those archways up so people can stand there and watch the game again, and that'll bring the you know the ballpark back to what it was. He's still very very good. You said something that I've said for years. Um, in almost any other ballpark, he would be a stud. Like I, I compare it to if people that really remember the Giants, Nate Sheerholtz was like a big prospect, didn't do a ton, left-handed right fielder, goes to Wrigley Field, and next thing you know, he's like he's a twenty-plus home run guy. And it's just like you get him out of AT&T Park and magic happens. Shocker. But uh, Belt's better than Nate Sherholtz. I'll say that much out of the gate. And um, he, he's he's going to get for a decent average. OBP leagues do not forget about Brandon Belt. He walks a ton. Like he is a, a really nice late round target. If you somehow missed on first base or corner infield, or you just want to bench bat. OBP leagues, he's phenomenal. So I, I think that's something to keep in mind. I hope he gets traded for his own good. Uh, let him go experience some winning some more because he's already won a few times, so I can't use that excuse. But uh, before it's all said and done, and you know, go go play in a ballpark where you can get 25 to 30 homers, which I think he really could do. So um, I'm with you. I think at that point in the draft, what do you have to lose if you need that position? But it just depends because there's not a lot of first basemen that late that are kind of worth that chance. Uh, at J-Dub, the Gamer asks, thoughts on Colin Moran? How deep does the league need to be for him to be more than a bench bat? More than a bench bat for uh, to play every day on your fantasy team, probably like at least a twenty team league for me. But um, yeah. thirty yeah, team NL only. Yeah, he's going to pick four hundred three in the month of January. He's first base only now. So he he lost third base, which I believe he had last year. Um, yeah, it's, it's a tough go for me. What about you? 
Yeah, I mean, he's just a quintessential kind of small sample size guy for me. Um, you know, he hit 10 home runs last year, but it was on a 27.8% home run per fly ball rate. That's more than double uh, his career average. Plate discipline isn't great. The contact is okay. Um, exit velocity was up last year. He did have his max exit velo as well and his um, max uh, barrel rate as well. But again, you know, he had 17 barrel rate barrels <clears throat> last year, even though he had a 56.3% ground ball rate, a 28.6% fly ball rate. So, you know, it just doesn't seem like a sustainable start. He should play on, a, on the regular, just given how bad their team is. So, but I, I don't really want him in my lineup. I don't need to, I want, I don't want, really want to rely on him. So NL only or something like that, where plate appearances are kind of king, I think works, but um not not super interested. I think he's going to fall back, fall back down. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, Aaron R at A G R I E K E asks, who are some corner infielders excluding free agents who don't have current starting jobs, but you could see them being fantasy con- contributors by midseason? Could be prospects coming up, potential opening via trade, too good to keep out of the lineup, etc. Any guys you're looking at? Um, I usually try to draft guys that already have jobs, but. Um, mm-hmm. If you're if you're taking a gamble, say late in drafts, what do you think in there? Um, so some guys that are jumping out. I mean, Edwin Rios. We have to figure out what the Dodgers' plan is for him. I know you're a big fan of his, so, but tremendous so tremendous power. I haven't looked at roster research for the Dodgers recently, but I imagine they'll try to get him a decent chunk of plate appearances. So that's big. CJ Crone obviously doesn't have a place uh, where he's playing yet, but you could easily see him re-upping with like the Tigers or, you know, actually signing with Boston. You know, that would actually make a ton of sense. I think, you know, for sorry, both. Sorry, Dahlbeck. <laughs> for for the for um uh for those guys. So those are a couple. Some guys further down, I think Chad Pinder is would be really interesting if if Oakland ever gave him a starting job. Uh, you know, on a regular basis and didn't just have him in on the short side of the platoon. I think he could be really good. And then one of my favorites always is uh, Brad Miller. So I don't think he, I don't think he'll get himself a, a starting job. I mean, he managed to with the Cardinals last year, a little bit unique circumstances. He's still unsigned, but he, he has been really good for two years now, just from a batted ball quality perspective, you know, decent OBP, so he could find himself in the right situation. Like you could see him signing with, you know, the pirates or, you know, some, some awful team, you know, and ending up falling into 400, 500 plate appearances. And I think he'd be startable in 15 team leagues if, if he was playing every day in that scenario. So those are a couple guys that are jumping out to me, just looking at the ADP list. How about you, Bubba? Yeah. I love the Rios calls. Like you said, I'm a big Rios fan. I'm just I've I've been terrified since day one that they're going to re-sign Justin Turner and now Vlad Sedler is tweeting it, which means it's probably going to happen. Mister, I, I got his ear on the Dodgers' pulse, so it just makes too much sense to go back to LA for Turner. But Rios would be great there. I mentioned Rowdy Telez earlier. I really do think he has a, a point in the season where he's very very good. So it, it's just tough to stash him. A couple other guys are young guys. Andrew Vaughn of the White Sox will play at some point mm-hmm. this year and then start the rest of the season. Like that one will happen. It might not be in April. They might play the game, but he'll be up earlier than expected, and he will play. So I think Andrew Vaughn is a very good one to take later. Um, Paven Smith of Arizona, he got a little cup of coffee last year. Decent power bat. It just kind of depends on 
if, if the NL had the DH, Smith might start the season with the team. So that's something to keep an eye on. And then Josh Fuentes in Colorado. A, anybody in the Colorado lineup's fun. We saw Fuentes at times play really well last year, played well in the minors. Uh, Daniel Murphy retiring is pretty much, is Ian Desmond going to play first base or Josh Fuentes? So Fuentes is a guy to keep an eye on as well. All right, Todd Whitestone asks, at Telestar7, if you have time, compare these four corners, um, considering their ADP. Rizzo at 107, Goldie 98, Mankata 84, Chapman 115. All four are projected to hit 250 to 270, produce 25 to 35 homers, but steal only three to five bases. Who would you rate first and second given ADP? So Rizzo at 107. These must be his ADPs or some, a different version. Rizzo at 107, Goldie 98, Mankata 84, Matt Chapman 115. Who's your top two there? Probably Mankata and Goldie, I think, would be the guys. You know, just like straight up, I think those would be them. Value-wise, maybe Goldie, Mankata, like the other way around. Um, Chapman does interest me because there was actually some really nice things going on in his profile last year, even though he had the really bad batting average. Some of the stat cast metrics were off the charts and the ground ball rate was was down, which were really really good and it's hard to know whether that's just the shortened season or whether those are the things that might be potentially sustainable but that was super interesting to me but again i, I just think that profile is just so it's so you know i'm like tired like 250 260 25 to 30 home runs you know i don't know yeah for me Moncada is definitely one of the top two. Chapman has my appeal is because he does have the profile or one of these years he's going to hit you 35 to 40. And it's going to get very exciting. Like all the projection systems, I just pulled them up. ATC 33 homers, the bat 35, steamer 35. The average is never going to be great. But um, the power production he brings you is very, very intriguing. So I got Moncada one. I'll take Chapman two. You probably don't need two third basemen that early in your draft. But if you want to lock up corner infield and another third baseman, that's where I would go because I'll just go take Reese Hoskins later at first base. But that's that's me. So give me a Mankata and Chapman for those two. All right, a couple more questions. Yancey, he has to just tug at my heartstrings. Talk about C.J. Krohn, is all he said. Um, I don't know where he's at on his re- rehabilitation from his knee. I'd imagine he's fine. I think he's one of those guys waiting for the DH. I think you mentioned Boston as a great spot for him. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him sign a small deal again here pretty soon. He just never gets love. The dude can hit. He can rake. He's going to be fun. I just haven't been able to draft him because I really don't know where he's going to play. He might. It might be one of those situations where he gets signed on a team that uh, he's a platoon player or a backup, and then you're just screwed. So we'll see what happens. I love CJ Crone. I hope he gets an everyday spot. I loved him in Detroit last year batting fourth. So uh, they can resign him if they like. But uh, what's your thoughts on CJ Crone? Yeah, I mean, I think he's solid. He's just – he's – you know, the guy, a guy, you know, 260, 250, 25 home runs, 60 runs, 70 RBI. He's essentially like Vlad Jr., maybe a little bit lower batting average. Yeah, that's that's uh, a, a lot later in the draft. No, <laughs> a lot more power. I'm just, um, I'm just kidding, of course. But um, yeah, I mean, I think he's a, he's solid. Like, I think he's a guy who if he if he signs on, actually, he's a good answer to the question of who's going to move up. You know, if we if if they sign or get playing time, CJ Chrome would be a really good example of that because I think everything's fine. I mean, you do worry a little bit. He's never really been able to put together that full season. Um, but 
Yeah, that's very true. Um, Torres at Torres takes asks, which corner infielder going after pick 200 has the best chance of being a top 100 pick next year? So if you're looking through all the numbers, who you got? After pick 200, that is most likely to be a top 100 pick next year. Hmm. Andrew Vaughn is a good example. That was my I pick. I think I think in your face, man. Um, if Edwin Rios plays every day, he could be there. That could be him, yeah, for sure. Um, one guy that I've been picking that I've been drafting a little bit is I don't know about top 100 is Evan White yeah, of the Mariners. I like that a lot. Just because you know, he won't be as bad as he was last year when the swing miss. He won't be like it. Such bad contact has never really been a part of his profile before, um, and and it just really was in a big way. But when he made contact, it was really excellent contact. He's got a really nice max exit below. so everything's working for him and looks good except for the contact. But it just doesn't make sense given what he was supposed to be. I think. So I'm hoping that maybe it'll be him. One guy who's just right outside there is is um, Austin Riley. I think yeah. Riley has a has this has a chance to hop up there too. How about you? I just stole all of them. I'm sorry. Yeah, Vaughn Vaughn was my pick. Um, I like the Evan White call because like we talked about him a lot in the first show. That you look at his his overall peripherals and you look what he did in the minors. Like what he did last year was such a just like to me, uh, fluke's not the right word, but it just feels fluky. Um, but yeah, top 100 maybe not for White, but he's going to make a, a pretty high leap. Nate Low should make another high leap as well. I think playing every day in Texas, that should be a good one. So those will be the kind of ones that stand out to me. I like Vaughn the most there. I'm trying to look at some other guys. I don't see too many massive jumps in this position. So I'll I'll, st- I'll stick with uh, Andrew Vaughn. I like Riley as well, but uh, give me Andrew Vaughn top 100 pick next season. Um, the last question we have here, Edward J. Gillis asks, corner picks after 250, who would you like out of these guys? Heimer Condelario, Carlos Santana, Will Castro, or Tommy Listella? Who would you pick out of those four? Uh, Carlos Santana yeah. would be my guy. Yeah, 100%. Carlos Santana. A little bit, a little bit of concern about the, what the batting average floor could be, but he's going to play every day. He's in a great situation. He's still got great skills. There hasn't really been a deterioration there. So I have to go with him. And I think the thing is you're kind of hoping Heimer Candelario is able to get to the point where he can do what Carlos Santana has done for an extended period of time. So I guess those are probably the two most interesting. Although I think Listella, you know, depending on what the, the, the Giants have in store for him, because I think he'll probably pl- platoon him. I think that's going to decrease some of his value. You could see him in like Wilmer Flores, you know, yep. just being second base platoon. Yep, that, that's 100% agree. Like Candelario, I like what he did last year. I'm not saying he's not going to be good this year, but Santana, like you said, Candelario wants to be what Santana is. So take what the guy is at that point in the draft. Um, Tom is still, I'm concerned about the platoon issues. Will Castro is interesting to me. Um, he should hit for an okay average, a little bit of power, a little bit of speed, but uh, it's, he's got a profile that I feel like you can get at some other places. So, yeah, give me Carlos Santana as well. Hopefully he comes through because 
you and I like him quite a bit this year. So yeah, I've got a bunch of one thing on Willie. One thing on Willie Castro, I think people are really um, overrating Castro quite a bit. Um, you know, where is he going again? Remind me. I mean, it's hard to overrate somebody who's going. I guess a pick like. 250 but 250. he's he's young so i can definitely see it but you know he had a 448 babbitt last year you know very low hard hit rate very bad o swing the contact is fine but still worse than league average the exit velocity was awful at 85.4 the max exit velo was at 109.6 which is okay the barrel rate was was at 9.6 percent but that doesn't really jive for me with like the, I think he's another guy who probably the deserved barrels are probably way lower for him. Let's see what he did. I probably should have checked this first, but I always like doing this because it's a good kind of check on. Yeah, I mean, you're, you, dude, this is nuts how low this is. Hmm. Willie Castro has a exit velocity on fly balls and line drives of 89.1 which ranks 385th out of 437 batters going next to the likes of oh well shouldn't criticize garrett hampson but miles straw jorge polanco another guy i like so maybe this is bad mark, <laughs> mark mathias starlin castro another guy I like uh oh this is going wrong I'll, I'll start picking and choosing better tim lacastro uh josh reddick hanser alberto Rymel Tapia, Tony Kemp, Billy Hamilton. So you just get a sense. I just think it was a mirage last year. There could still be gro growth, right? Because linear, like development isn't linear. But I think he's an example of, of a small sample size. Small sample. Yeah. Sorry, MTM. <laughs> small sample. Sorry, MTM. Um, yeah, when you look at, uh, I pulled up his pitch leaderboard here, you know, 30% CSW not ideal 31 percent whiff swing and strike you know 32 percent hard hit, hit rate 15 percent dynamic hard hit 5.3 percent blast not horrible uh 9.6 percent barrel like you mentioned his deserved barrel waiting for it to load it says 6.2 i thought it would i thought it'd be even lower honestly i did too but i'm still going to take a victory on that one yeah um you know 522 will bacon 461 x will bacon still not bad but uh it's just showing you that what he did, there's some step back on a lot of this stuff. Okay. I think he's, he, I think he's interesting. I was kind of hoping he'd be like pick 350, then 250, but uh, that, that's what makes him a little trickier to jump on. But uh, with that being said, Toby, corner infield review in the books. Any final thoughts? I know we'll probably talk more corner infielders closer to draft season, but any final thoughts? Well, I'm just pissed off. I didn't get a chance to talk about Yuli Gurriel at all. Um, How much Yuli Gurriel do you have so far? Much. I have a lot of Yuli Gurriel uh, so far. Um, no, uh, it's been fun. We kept it under an hour and a half, which I think may be a record for us. We're really trying, folks. We want to bring you hard-hitting content, but we also want it to be efficient. We want it to be effective. We want it to respect your time. Because as the greatest listeners in all of fantasy sports, that is what our listeners deserve. Exactly. The best the easiest to comprehend all that good stuff. And the longer we go, the less I can comprehend talking to anybody. So it just makes it more and more challenging. Um, but no, this was good. I'm looking forward to middle infield next week as we'll kind of talk about some of the moves that have taken place and the, the changing landscape of the middle infield position. But for now, 
uh, episode 69 of Bubba and the Batflip in the books. You can check out Toby on Twitter at BatflipCrazy. I am on Twitter at BDintrick. We'll be back with you guys next week. Have a good one. That is going to wrap us up for episode 165 of Bubba and the Batflip and edition number 69 of Bubba and the Batflip. Uh, thank you so much for listening. As always, greatly, greatly appreciative um, for all of you who listen to the podcast and especially folks who are sending in questions. Um, always, always appreciate that. So this week we did corner infield. Next week I think we're going to be doing middle infield and we'll go on from there. But we are running out of weeks, believe it or not. We started right after the season started and we started with our early position previews and it felt weird to do those so long ago. But now we are here. And we are two weeks away from spring training, which I'm really excited to uh, that 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 we're going to have. It looks like, and hopefully we'll get some data on there, and and it'll be useful to us um, as we move forward. So really exciting stuff. Please do go back and listen to those uh, position previews if you want to. We do get into a little bit more depth in the positions as well. So as always, uh, best of luck with all of your fantasy baseball research. Take care and be kind to one another.